0: Let's welcome Trav, That'd be awesome. Awesome, great to be with you here tonight, joining online as well. It's great to have you uh, along to our six PM service. Uh, It was a couple of years ago uh, when I was teaching high school that a student, a middle school student, at the end of the year, uh, came up to me and gave me a a Christmas card, and uh, and I was was, you know this is very I was very thankful for this and. he, he said to me, you know, um, sir, you've just been the best teacher. You just, you're my favourite teacher. You've been the best teacher this year. And I thought, wow. I didn't, I didn't really realise I had this impact on this kid. You know, Year 9 English. I was like, yeah, how much can a kid love English? Um, okay, yeah, okay, cool. And he goes, uh, you, you're just the best teacher. You're honestly my favourite. You let us do whatever we wanted. You, um, you know, we were playing games at the back. You didn't even care. You just let us play games. You didn't, you know, you had no idea. You were the best teacher ever. Thanks so much. I hope I get you next year. I sort of quickly turn around and make sure none of my colleagues are around to hear me or my bosses are close by because I was like, that's not true. I remember specifically getting up you, telling you to, to get off your iPad, to, to listen up. I remember specifically this, this student And here he is saying that I I did nothing. I was just a a real softy of a teacher. Um, And I thought that's just a hilarious insight into a middle school mind. You know, (laughs) a middle school, uh, uh, into the mind of a middle school boy uh, where absent teacher means good teacher. You know, where no learning means great school, great teaching. (laughs) I know, you know. And hopefully this student one day will know that a teacher who doesn't discipline or a parent who doesn't pull their child into line from time to time uh, doesn't do any favours for that child, do they? The student who doesn't get pulled into line, who's allowed to be lazy and waste time in class, is worse off than the student who's cracked down on, right? We know this. I'm not talking the harsh, uh, you know, unloving, really cold, brutal kind of discipline. I'm talking about the good, healthy, constructive, beneficial discipline for a child or a student. You know, where the love for the child is never in doubt. It's just that there's a behaviour that's not right, it's not healthy for that child. It needs to be pulled into line. The, the, they need to know that they're not on the right track. We know that a good parent or a good teacher ensures that the child or the student is healthily disciplined. Uh, Last week, Dan spoke from 2 Timothy, and uh, he spoke on how we are adopted as God's children. How has Jesus entered into the divine sonship? So too do we, men and women, enter into the divine son or daughtership as well. Without Jesus, we are, are children of men, okay? And what, and what this means is as children of men, we are born into sin. We have a fractured relationship with God where we, we seek to do our own will uh, and we're slaves really to our wants and desires. We don't have right standing with God when we're, when we're just merely children of men. And it's not that we're not invaluable it's not that we're uh, not seen either. It's, it's, you know, God formed us in our mother's wombs. He has plans and purposes for our lives and he, he longs for our return to him. It's just that without Jesus, we're, we're merely children of men. With Jesus, however, we can become children of God. We get adopted into God's family. We are his children and uh, children of God, they, well, they have a restored relationship with the Father. You know, they don't have a broken relationship anymore. Their relationship with their Father is restored. Children of God have direct access to the Father. Children of God can call Him at any time and can ask for His help, ask for His presence, ask for His, his hand over a situation in their life. Our access to God when we are His children is uninhibited. Tim Keller puts it really well. He says, The only person who dares wake up a king at 3am for a glass of water is a child. This is the kind of access we have to God when we are his children. Children of God are blessed with a privilege of intimacy. We are blessed with a privilege of assurance. Children of God know that God is always with them. Our children of God are, have the privilege of a new purpose, a new life, a new, a new meaning to life, to carry out God's will, not their own. They no longer want what they want. They want what the Father wants. And finally, children of God have the privilege of suffering. Now you might be like, "What? hold up. Those other things sounded really good, but suffering does not sound like a privilege. What are you talking about? Where, where did you, how did you go so wrong? It was sounding so good. Intimacy, yes, great. Assurance, yes, great. New purpose, yep, keep going. Suffering, oh, no, not so much. I don't think so. Is that the right, you know, have you got the right uh, Christianity there? I'm not sure what's, what's going on here. So let's look together at this idea. Let's open together to Romans 8, 16, to 19 and let's have a look at what it says it says the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children now if we are children then we are heirs heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Now, you might be thinking, hang on a minute. That's not just, you know, it's it's not only saying that the children of God will suffer. You know, it's not even a maybe, it's a definite. It's not only saying that they will suffer. But that by suffering we can know that we are children of God, and not only that, but our suffering will lead to glory. And you might be thinking, what like what context is suffering is suffering a good thing? You know, what in what area of my life would suffering be a good thing? You might even have questions of thinking like, if if we are God's children, is He condoning our suffering? You know, He says it's a good thing. He says it will happen. Is God allowing? There's suffering in our lives? How does it lead to glory? First Peter 4:12 says something similar. It says, "Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed." If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed with the, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. One more, one more um, section if you're sort of worried that this was just a one-off in the Bible. James 1 uh, verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Fiery ordeals, uh, terrible situations, suffering. Maybe it doesn't sound super enticing to be a Christian here tonight. Uh, if, you're, if you're not a Christian, you might be going, well, it doesn't sound too good <laughs> to be a Christian. If you've ever watched pro golf on TV, uh, if you ever watched like the PGA Tour or whatever, uh, you might get the idea that uh, golf is a very rewarding, simple and enjoyable game to play. You know, you watch the pros do it and they're all in their really nice Nike clothes or whatever they're in. They just look really clean, really crisp. They're playing on these beautiful uh, golf courses and they're just driving the ball 250 metres down the fair lane. They're chipping it onto these beautiful putting greens and they putt the ball in. And you go, I could do that. That looks pretty good. That looks fun. That looks really enjoyable. Recently, I thought the same. And um, I've been out for a few rounds of golf. And uh, from what I've discovered from being a beginner golfer is that suffering is actually a huge part of the sport. You know, and it's, you suffer because there's so many things that can go wrong with golf. It seems so simple, but so many things can go wrong. If your grip's slightly off, the ball goes into the trees. If, you, if your feet aren't wide enough apart, you, you top the ball and it goes five metres in front of you. You know, if you take your eye off the ball... Um, your air swing in front of everyone. If there's water within a 100 metre radius of you hitting the golf ball, your ball magically goes into the water. <laughs> Don't know how it works. It just, it just does. For every one decent golf shot that I hit, that I'm, I'm enjoying myself having a great time, there are 10 horrible shots for that one. What I didn't realise, what no one told me is that... Um, it seems that suffering is innate to golf. Okay, you can't play without suffering a little, or in my case, a whole lot. And it made me think, does this resonate with your idea of Christianity? Or more so, does this resonate with your experience of being a witness for Christ, you know, an ambassador for Christ, someone who shares the gospel, who, who wants to love others no matter the cost, Someone who wants to be a Christian in all circumstances, in all areas of their life, who you want to, you want to um, be a Jesus follower at all times. Did you or do you have in your mind that, that being a witness for Christ would, be, uh, would mean all good and no bad? That being a child of God would mean all blessing and no failure, all glory, no hardship? Maybe you were sort of sold this message that it would be all providence, it would be all prosperity, it would be all glamour without suffering. I think this is a bit of a message that sometimes we we get sold. Sadly, we get sold this message of become a Christian and and you'll never struggle again. There'll never be issues. If there are issues, then you're doing something wrong. That's the message sometimes that, that comes about. For us, and it's it's simply it's simply not true. To be clear, this type of suffering that I'm, I'm talking about—I want to be really clear—it um, it results from being a child of God. It results from being a witness for Christ. As Romans puts it, it's a suffering with Christ, standing alongside Christ and suffering because of your uh, indebtedness to Him. Because you're saying, "I'm with Christ," you suffer negative situations and experiences which arise as a result of you standing apart from the crowd um, as a Christian and uh, of following Jesus wholeheartedly and with conviction. What I'm not talking about is really um, the problem of pain and and suffering in our world, Uh, the the horrible tragedy of, of suffering that occurs for no specific, no reason, there's no rhyme or reason behind it, other than the fact that we live in a fallen world. That's not the type of suffering I'm talking about. I, I would really, I'd really hate to detract from, from anyone's real hurt and, and grief in this point. I know there's, there's many that are in a, in a period of, of suffering. And um, what I want to tell you is that God draws near to the brokenhearted. That's, that's the truth. God is so near to you if you're in the midst of just that, that, tragic, that tragic suffering at the moment. He is, God is not far away. He is not cold. He's not uncaring. He's close to you. He's by your side. I want to be clear on that. Suffering with Christ, that is suffering because you identify as a Christian, can look many different ways. We're told firstly that it's not a matter of if but when. You know? And it can occur in many ways. If we look at the life of Paul in the book of Acts, we read that uh, suffering with Christ for him was being kidnapped, it was being beaten, threatened, arrested, accused in lawsuits, interrogated, ridiculed, ignored, shipwrecked, and even bitten by a snake. That's what it looked like to be a Christ follower for Paul. We uh, we live in Australia in abundance, really. Uh, we, we, we have our day-to-day lives with relatively little Trouble, but I'm sure that that if you've if you've walked with Christ, um, you will have experienced some of these things that Paul is talking about. Maybe not getting bitten by a snake. I'm not sure, unless there are some out there. But certainly ridicule, certainly being ignored, certainly being um, maybe attacked, maybe verbally, maybe physically, as well being threatened being left out, all these things. We, we have experiences of these things. Maybe you've thought along the lines of uh, something like being a Christian at work is, ugh, it's just too hard. Like it's, it's too complicated. I, I don't get included in conversations. I miss out on stuff. I'm, I'm not, you know, thought of for positions or I'm not, you know, included. I'm just left out. At work. Being a Christian at work is too hard. Or maybe uh, being a Christian at school or at uni in particular is you just rather not go there. They do the icebreakers around the room and tell us a bit about yourself, and you're like, oh, I know that I should mention that I go to church or something like that. And you're just like, oh no, it's too complicated. Maybe I'm seen as the goody two shoes. I'm seen as this perfect person who other people you know, feel awkward around talking about drinking or they apologise for swearing around you and you're like, I just don't, I just don't want that. Um, maybe you, for, for you it's like I'm not invited to any events. I'm, I'm looked down upon. Or maybe being a Christian in your family is just too painful. Maybe it's just you're alienated and you're cast out or you're judged or you're ridiculed. Uh, these are all thoughts that are, these are all experiences I've certainly had in my life, and I'm sure I'm not alone in this. And there's a, there's a depth to that suffering. There's a there's a um, a depth of despair to that. There's an alienation that happens because of that. And so, as we look at this word, we 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 sort of need to ask two questions about it. If the word of God tells us not only to expect this type of suffering, but to rejoice in it. We need to ask why and how. We want to know why is suffering with Christ something to rejoice over and then how do we rejoice in it? We, we want to be Christ followers through and through. We all struggle to rejoice in suffering. So let's, let's learn how to do it. When we face suffering, we, uh, we often can think things like, maybe this means that God doesn't want me here. Right. This is often the way our minds go with these things. We experience this hardship, and we go, "Ah, well, God doesn't. Maybe God doesn't want me in this workplace. God doesn't want me here. I've I've done something wrong. You know, I shouldn't be experiencing this suffering. God's disapproving of me. Maybe. Uh, if we get sold the idea that you should never suffer, you should always be happy, always be joy filled, no matter what. That's what being a Christian is. Then, uh, then you will feel like there's something wrong with me. if if I'm suffering. But that's not at all what's going on because in the verses in James and Peter and Romans, these verses recognize that there is a greater plan unfolding in your life in and through us in times of suffering. There's something greater going on here. These verses tell us that God is actually bolstering our faith. This is not a negative experience. It looks like a negative experience. It's actually an incredibly, incredibly good thing. God is bolstering our faith. He's he's deepening our character. He's building perseverance uh, so that we will not see suffering as a lack of God's presence. But in fact, quite the opposite. That in suffering, we are in God's presence. Suffering shows us that God hasn't left us. It shows us that we are right where God has us. God's presence is with us. Our suffering is evidence of us being children of God. We are assured of our identity through the suffering. We can be sure of who we are through this. Romans 8, 17, we are children of God if we share in his sufferings. This is how we know our place in God's family. Uh, Brian Hengregg, an author, says this. The parent who has the child's best interests at heart is often required to do things that the child considers grievous. With young children, the rationale behind such decisions is often beyond them. They are nonetheless in the child's best interest. While some decisions are meant to keep the child safe, most are aimed at moving the child towards greater maturity. He says, On my daughter's first day of preschool, little boys and girls were crying and clinging to their parents' legs, desperate not to be separated from mum or dad. What if each of these parents had responded to the grief of their child by writing off school as something harmful and destructive? He says, Clearly, some suffering is worth embracing in the light of long term gains. Isn't that so true? In light of long-term gains, some suffering is worth embracing. When we become aware of our sin, uh, when we, when we, we meet with, with Jesus, we understand who Jesus is and we see ourselves in light of Jesus' glory, uh, when we bring all of our shortcomings to Christ, what we bring to him is, is an entanglement of of a multitude of of things that need fixing. We bring to him this entanglement of entrenched thought patterns. We bring to him habitual sin. We bring to him, you know, broken relationships, a history of fear, uh, poor self-image, or or we often can bring at the same time a real puffed up sense of ourselves, a puffed up self-image. We bring a distrust for God and we, we bring this tunnel vision view of God uh, of ourselves and our desires and, and we have this entangled mess that we just, you know, everything's just complicated in this ball of, of, of mess and we bring that to Christ, uh, we bring that to, to God and, and, and what is he to do with it? You know, what, um, what, is he, what, is he, what does he do with that? Does he look us up and down? Does he sort of scan us up and down and, and go, I don't know if I can do a lot here? You know like well that that thought pattern you've done that for you've had that for a long time you know the the neural pathway that's pretty set I don't know if I can do much about that does God look at us and, and sort of go well I can I might be able to tweak some things I might be able to do something but I, you know there's there's not a whole lot I can do of course not this is not what God does he doesn't let us continue in sin he doesn't let us just you know be be Just come as in this broken mess and just leave us as we are? No, not at all. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The new has come, the old is gone, and the new is here. Ezekiel 36.26 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. These are the promises of God. This is the, the power of God. Not to leave you just continuing sin and continue into brokenness. No, 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 he, he wants to give you a new life, a new heart. What this means is that God will do whatever it takes to pry the old you away from the new. They can't both exist. One must, have, one must give way. He wants to come and dwell inside of you. So he's not just going to let you keep going in sin, keep going in these, in these bad habits and keep going in this, this awful way that just leads to death and, and you know, is destructive and unhealthy. He's going to reshape, remould, rebuild you into something worthy of his dwelling. C.S. Lewis puts it in just such a good picture. He says, imagine yourself as a living house and God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he is doing. You know, he's getting the drains right and he's stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. And you knew those jobs needed doing, so you are not at all surprised that that's what God's doing. But then he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts incredibly. And does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to, you imagine? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. He's throwing out a new wing here. He's putting on an extra level here. He's running up towers. He's making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. But he is building a palace he intends to come and live in it himself that is what god wants to do in your life in our lives the suffering that we feel in this time is not because god intends to cause us pain for the sake of it and says just toughen up just you know and certainly not because he finds joy in our pain and distress but it's because it goes against the old fleshly self. Our our old selves, they're they're so concerned with the physical. Our old selves are so concerned with what we deserve, what is rightfully ours, uh, what we can get, what we can have. Our new selves are not at all concerned with those things. Our new selves are concerned with the eternal they're concerned with the things of God, not things of this world. They couldn't care less. They're concerned with things of God. If you think about it for a moment, all of our suffering that we endure as, as witnesses of Christ, as followers of Christ, all those, all those times of, of ridicule and, and, and hurt, they occur because it's, it's the result of these earthly things being taken away, isn't it? It's a result of the old the things that our old selves used to desperately cling to. It's it's a result of those things being taken away. Our rights being stripped, our voices being silenced, of our possessions being taken. For some of us here tonight, we need to we need to hear this, but as children of God, we're not here on earth to have our rights. To have our rights no matter how much we think we deserve them. We're here to imitate Christ who gave up his rights. We are to die to the old and take up the new. This is what Philippians 2 verses 5 to 8 say. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's who we're to be like. Jesus, who was humble and obedient to death. Who gave up his absolute rights. If we are living in the new self, then we're living like that. We're living like Jesus. Whose eyes are not set on the things of this world, what they can what he can get, what he he deserves, his rights as a as a as a human. They're not they're not set on that. He he handed himself over. He gave up his rights. He came down from heaven not to do his will, but to do the will of the Father. And so this is what it means to, this is why we, we should rejoice in suffering. We're gonna to get to the, to the how, but this is why we should rejoice in suffering because it enables the death to the old self and it brings life to the new self. Do you see how that works? That's the privilege of suffering. Suffering as a witness for Christ. Through it, we are able to share with Jesus in the glory of our new hope. So uh, uh, the, what follows, if we know why this is a uh, reason for rejoicing, then, then we, we need to know how do we do this. Because the reality is, this is all great in theory. And this all is, you know, bang on. And, and we, can, uh, we can take heart in that. But then when when we experience these times of suffering, well, obviously, things change because we're involved, our emotions are involved, our, our old personhood is at stake and we feel the, the depths of despair in this. And uh, all of this can sort of sometimes make us feel like we have to just, you know, will ourselves into rejoicing. We have to just really focus our minds and really just, just grit our teeth and just rejoice no matter what. And... um I think that's, that can be incredibly dangerous to, to, to spread a message that we have to just grit our teeth and be happy. You know, grit our teeth and just be okay. And that's not, what, that's not what the Word is telling us tonight. By no means is suffering easy. The Word of God doesn't say that at all. It can be incredibly hard. It would have been incredibly hard for Jesus it can feel lonely, isolating. It can cause great anguish. We know the anguish it caused Jesus on the cross. We know that. But just as we choose to share in Jesus' suffering, so too does Jesus share in our suffering. Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 3 Does therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles? And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We don't want to grow weary and lose heart, do we? We don't want that. How we rejoice then, how we do it, how we we rejoice in times of suffering is to come into contact with His love. Fix our eyes on Jesus, come into contact and experience His love and mercy. In times of suffering, don't don't fix your eyes on the suffering itself, Come, come into contact with Jesus. Come and spend time with Jesus. Allow Him to 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 love you. Allow Him to to hand over His warmth to you. Spend time experiencing Jesus's love. We often think we can will our hearts into this change of thinking. You know, we can will it. We can no. We can we can make a way that that we just change our our brains thinking and we can change our attitude and. And uh, we can just have joy instead of instead of suffering. But w- we cannot will our hearts into a sudden change of thinking, like a computer that can be reprogrammed. We can't just install a new program on our on our heart, and then we're all set. You know, if we, we if we do, we can we might succeed for a little bit. But ultimately, we're acting. We must come into contact with Him, and experience. His love to allow us to change our hearts. And when we experience the love of Christ, what happens is we start to gravitate towards Him. When we experience the love of Christ, even for a second, even for a moment, we know that 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 love is more real than anything we have ever felt in this life and ever will. And we wanna get more of that. We We wanna be closer to Jesus when we feel His love. And so what happens when you experience the love of Christ is you start to gravitate towards him and your heart begins to change into his heart. His thoughts become your thoughts. His obedience to the Father's will becomes your obedience to the Father's will. His momentary suffering, which was overshadowed by his glory, is the same with our momentary suffering. Do you see how that works? We, as we encounter Christ, we want to mimic him more, we step into our new self, being Christ like instead of the old self. This is what Paul means when he says we share in Jesus' suffering so that we too may share in his glory. And this happens not by not by sheer will, power, of our own accord. And not by ignoring the suffering or focusing too much on it, it's by focusing on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. I just want to invite the, the team up as we, as we come to um, finish up here tonight. And as we, as we let that sink into our hearts now and we take it a couple of moments just to think about that, and as we sing, as we come to worship and we, we have an opportunity to, to do exactly that, to meet with Jesus, to sing of, of his goodness, just to spend time with him. You know, to, to block out some thoughts that are happening, to, um, to fix our eyes on Jesus, to gaze at him and him alone. And uh, I'm conscious if, if, that there's, there's probably people here tonight, there's definitely people here tonight, who are in a time of of suffering with Christ. And I, I wanna tell you to not be disheartened. Don't think for a moment that God has left you. Don't think for a moment that God has left your side. He is doing something in you that you cannot see. He's doing things in you. He's doing things behind the scenes, in fact, that one day you will see the beauty of. Maybe even, maybe not even till heaven for some of these. But you will one day see the beauty of what he's doing in your life. And you'll you'll what you'll realize is, I can't believe that God, you know, I, I did I actually didn't think that God was capable of changing that about me. I actually didn't think that. That God, I knew that He did some of these things, but I didn't know that He was actually capable of, of taking that sin away or taking that, that perception of myself away. And suddenly the suffering is just, it's old news. It's just, I, I couldn't care less. The suffering enabled my old self to die, and now I can step into the new self. And once I'm stepped into the new self, the old self is like rags. I, I don't need it. I never needed it. Be stirred and be hope-filled. Give, give thanks. Be thankful when there's times that your old self is threatened. I know that sounds bizarre. Give thanks when your when self is threatened, when, when, when you have a chance to put your old self to death. Be thankful for that. Remain humble and obedient and seek him in all things. As we come into um, to sing this song, I'm also conscious that there's people who are heading back into, into tough, tough, tough environments this year where you're a witness for Christ and it's just tough. You know, you might be heading back into school or heading back into uni or into a workplace, and it's you you need God's courage. You need God's help. You need His assurance and His, His provision for you to do that. And you need just a, an experience of God's love so that your heart can be changed into His. And so if, if that's you, um, I want to encourage you to come down, receive prayer, or even just ask God Himself for, for, for His courage in that time. Um, why don't we stand? I'm going to pray really quick, and then we'll, we're going to sing um, this beautiful song. Great God, we, we stand before You, Lord, in hum, humble obedience, knowing full well that You're a good, good Father, that You don't, you don't allow suffering so that we may be crushed and, and smothered and, and there's no way out, but You do a work in and through it. And Lord, we wanna trust in Your plan. We wanna trust, um, Lord, that there's, uh, there's no fear When we're in the new self, we trust that that you are good. That you are going to see our suffering through. That is not the end of us. And Lord, where the old self is is fearful and a slave to fear, lays itself down to fear and submits to fear. We know the new self only submits to you, great God. The new self, just as Jesus was, is is obedient to the cross. Lord, we thank you. And I want to pray as well, Father, for for those who need courage to head back into an environment that is just so tough. And you don't, you actually see those environments and you don't don't say that we shouldn't uh, feel the weight of it. You don't say that. You don't don't discount how we're feeling in those environments, but you stand with us, firmly with us, and you share in our suffering too. Great God, we thank you for that. And so Lord, we sing with faith, we sing with courage now um, as we come to, to, uh, to sing this song, Lord. I pray you meet us where we are right now in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Been born again into your family, your blood flows through.
2: a bit uh, anxious about going back to work or university or whatever it might be for you and maybe there's some stuff going on in your heart or in your life where you just sense, you know, God, what are you doing in the midst of this? But there is so much courage to know that whatever's going on, that God is doing something, that God is at work and uh, I always find that such a great encouragement. And I just want to encourage you tonight uh, that wherever, whatever situation, whatever you're heading into, uh, as Travis said, that God's with you in the midst of that. And I really'd love to pray for you. Father, we just thank You for Your Word. We thank You for that encouragement, great God. Uh, you never waste anything. You're always at work in some way or another. You are at work, great God. And we thank You for that. Uh, there's some that are in a difficult situation, I pray they continue to press into You and lean in You, lean into You to discover and to know in their hearts, what are You doing in the midst of this? And uh, to be courageous, to be bold, and uh, to, to stand up, Father God, in the midst of, uh, of the situation that they're facing. Uh, we thank You as well, great God. You promise that You'll never leave us nor forsake us. You don't leave us alone, but You're with us always. And it's an extraordinary promise to hold on to. So we thank You, Lord. And we thank You that we can cry out to You at any time, regardless of the situation, we can cry out to You. You hear us. And You're with us. And uh, it brings great courage to our hearts. We love You, great God. And uh, we just pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. That opportunity as well for, to receive prayer is still available. We'd really love to pray for you. That's really important. Um, but have a great week. Whatever you're doing this week, may God use you powerfully. And uh, we'll see you soon. God bless.